welcome to the IEEE Blockchain Podcast Series, an IEEE Digital Studio production. This new blockchain series entitled Research Notes in Blockchain is hosted by Quinn Dupont, Assistant Professor at the University College Dublin School of Business and the author of Cryptocurrencies and Blockchains. Professor Dupont is joined by Dr. Balaj Bodo, an economist and social legal scholar at the University of Amsterdam. Dr. Bodo also runs the Blockchain and Society Policy Research Lab at the Institute for Information Law, a think tank specializing in blockchain governance, societal issues, and regulatory and policy approaches. So Dr. Bodo, maybe you can just start with uh, a little bit of biography for me. Uh, I see online that your earlier research focused on piracy, um, which you have later managed to connect to blockchain technology. I'm just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about uh, how you started in your research on piracy and how that eventually evolved into something that focuses on blockchain. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a little bit odd one out. I'm uh, working now as an uh, associate professor and a senior researcher at the Institute for Information Law at the University of Amsterdam, which is like a world-leading information law research institute, uh, staffed with like 90% uh, lawyers, copyright lawyers, uh, data protection lawyers, um media uh, regulation free speech regulation scholars uh very legal uh, research environment uh and i'm i don't have a legal training i have a a, a training in uh, economics social sciences media studies and i ended up here because um uh because around 2005 uh uh while i was still back in uh hungary my uh, my home turf, uh, we started to implement uh, Creative Commons licenses um, uh, as an interdisciplinary effort to somehow address this issue of digital culture, cultural reuse, uh, and trying to sort out things between at the intersection of digital technologies, uh, cultural, uh, the circulation of cultural material. Um, and uh, commercial and non-commercial uses. Uh, and then I realized that there are lots of issues uh, where or or my how I see the world or how I see the technology or how I see the, the social, economic, uh, cultural processes enabled by technology are very different from how copyright scholars, uh, traditional legal scholars see these things. So I decided to actually work with them uh, in the hope that we can actually build some kind of a common understanding around how uh, how new things can be interpreted at the intersection of technology, society, and, and law. And um, so that led me to, uh, uh, to piracy research, because what I've seen is that, uh, especially in, uh, at the peripheries, uh, such as post-communist Europe, uh, Creative Commons was not really the, the the right answer to the challenges that we had at time at that time uh, there, uh, but piracy was peer to peer pirates were able to build from the bottom up a very uh, uh, consequential and very relevant uh, collection of uh, cultural uh, goods which were not legally accessible and I and I really got fascinated by this power of uh, of uh, of peer production, if you like, 
of people being able to uh, uh, pool resources uh, in, in such a manner that resonated really well also with the Samista tradition of, of communist countries where a whole alternative public was uh, built by uh, individuals uh, collaborating uh, in a networked manner. So, uh, so I started to look into with my own tool sets, my economics background, my statistical knowledge, uh, my cultural studies sensibilities, of like how uh, people in a peer-to-peer -peer manner are able to uh, pool resources, and then how you can actually describe that um, in a non-adversarial manner from the legal perspective. Uh, and that became interesting uh, at the uh, at the institute where I'm where I'm now. Uh, now the question: How that leads to uh, to blockchain research? Uh, well, uh, this like uh, when uh, when blockchain technology started to uh, gain prominence, I had this this nagging feeling I already had uh, 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 when I uh, tried to interpret peer-to-peer -peer file sharing from the legal perspective is that there is a technological development uh, uh, emerging here, which if it is really uh, uh, picked up by, uh, by a, a substantial amount of people, can uh, force the legal profession to ask fundamental questions again, or may have the impact of, uh, of forcing the legal uh, discipline to give different answers uh, to, to questions uh, already encountered. Uh, and, um, uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, one of the major questions uh, that I'm interested in is like, what is the power relation between a, a technological form of power uh, characterized as uh, a peer-to-peer -peer decentralized, uh, centerless, disintermediated uh, uh, network form of power and the legal uh, or disciplinary or judicial power, uh, which expresses itself in prohibitions and prescriptions and has the state apparatus as an enforcement mechanism behind it. Uh, and what is happening uh, where these two are in conflict or when one is challenging the other? Uh, is it possible for, for again, uh, people, tech developers to pull off the same trick as they did with the peer-to-peer fashioning? Uh, is that they create a system which is very difficult to uh, to grasp by legal means or to enforce against by by the state powers. Uh, and if that is the case, then uh, what kind of uh, what is the form of power that is emerging uh, in these anarcho-libertarian or crypto-libertarian corners of the internet? And I and I um, and I told this to my legal colleagues, like guys, this is something is happening here. Uh, you better pay attention. And uh, then I, I realized that maybe I am the one who has to pay attention to this because uh, because I, I'm in this interdisciplinary position, uh, maybe best situated in, in trying to uh, act as a as a as a as a as a information carrier between very different domains. And uh, of course, uh, uh, Mercurius is the uh, is the uh, protector god of thieves. Uh, and merchants uh, and wanderers. Uh, so I, I assumed again the the hat of uh, of uh, of this god and, and decided to somehow try to uh, build a trading zone when legal profession, social sciences, economists uh, can actually uh, in, like look at what's happening within this technology domain and what kind of impact they can uh, uh, 
identify that which needs attention from a societal perspective or from a particular disciplinary perspective. So you mentioned that you merged out of this um, interest in cultural reuse and specifically the peer-to-peer um, technologies and the communities that were built building up around these technologies. Um, early on, uh, there, uh, you know, there was a great deal of, of talk about uh, peer-to-peer and, and piracy um, and within the blockchain and cryptocurrency space, I think, as well. But something seems to have changed. Um, do you think this is, uh, is it, do you think it's true that something has changed here and that um, the, the space of blockchain is uh, maybe different from what it was when you first uh, were interested in the topic? Uh, what certainly changed is that... Uh... All those uh, uh, actors and stakeholders and institutions got really interested in uh, in blockchain technology, which the original blockchain developers were hoped to bypass, circumvent, neutralize, uh, fight against. And I find this fascinating. Like uh, this has uh, started out as a um, as an effort to to bypass central banks, bypass states, uh, set up a, a, a sovereign technical system independent of, uh, of uh, centralized control. And what I see is that um, big corporations, small firms, uh, nation states, the European Union are all super interested in this technology. Um, and uh, one of the key questions for me uh, is why? What is, uh, why, and what happens when when a, a technology, uh, technological innovation uh, is picked up by those who it was developed against? Mm. Uh, and how that changes the architecture and how that changes the, um, the, um, uh, uh, the whole setup. And one of the key understanding in this space is, uh, for me, in the last... Uh, few uh, years was that it it like blockchain technologies were designed to be very strict control technologies right where you you delegate control the ability to control the ability to exercise power to within the architecture and uh, and that is the appealing things for all these centralized players like as well who, who are seeking new modes of technological control in a highly technologized uh, society. Uh, and uh, so it seems like the whole idea turned out to be rather than a, a, a tool of liberation or a tool of, of, uh, of insurgency into this dual use technology where uh, whereas a control technology can easily be deployed uh, for rather different purposes that it was originally originally designed for. So to focus on some of these um, differences, in a, in a recent article, you described four key points of interaction between, the, between blockchain technologies and, and that culture and copyright. Um, and I think if, uh, if I may, the four are, you've got smart contract overreach or private ordering, copyright registries, digital rights management or DRM. Mm. And then artist remuneration. Mm. So I'm just wondering if you could tell me a little bit, um, uh, you know, which one you think is the most significant, um, and maybe just uh, explain a little bit of, uh, about that kind of key point of interaction. Mm. 
So one of the uh, so the the article that you referred to uh, looked into uh, copyright related uses of uh, of, uh, of distributed ledger technologies, and this that was like from very early on, like with Amazon Heap, uh, one of the uh, uh, highly uh, uh, high potential uh, application domains. For understandable reasons, um, so the whole technology seemed to be an ideal uh, architecture for uh, keeping track, like describing copyrighted works uh, 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 through like digital tokens, and then uh, automating certain types of transactions, whether uh, those of the copyrighted works or copyrighted metadata or copyright metadata uh, through smart contracts or automated. Uh, automated transactions, uh, and it can be like organized in a, in a transparent manner. The token system also offers a remuneration system where monies can also flow. The distributed ledgers can provide transparency in use and licensing and whatnot. So on, on paper, it looks really well matched with the how the uh, the, the circulation of intellectual properties is administered uh, by the current players. Uh, and we were trying to look through that uh, system, and and uh, what we have identified in that article is that the technology is like is still on paper ideal, uh, but like as all technological developments, uh, the the question whether it will be used or whether it will be efficient or whether it will be widespread, it's uh, not that much the question of the quality of the technology or the actual architecture of the uh, technology, because every technology development is, in fact, uh, an institutional change or an institutional development. Um, so, uh, in this sense, within the copyright domain, the institutional conditions of technology applications are not present. Uh, it's not that it's not a good technology, but it's also, but the problem is that the institutional environment of international copyright is very hospitable. Uh, to the implementation of this technology. Uh, that being said, uh, if we like zoom out and say, okay, what is in the within the what have we learned in the copyright domain that might be applicable elsewhere, and where we see that maybe in the long run, maybe with not this technology but on another technology platform, we should expect some kind of fundamental changes in how we do our stuff. In society or in economics, then uh, I would highlight two uh, two potential changes. One is these um, these property registries, right? Where we have now land registries, uh, we try to build but failed to uh, to build global IP or copyright registries. I think the world is moving relatively fast in this direction of. Like we need some kind of a universal registry of all kinds of things, whether these are pharmaceuticals or whether these are raw materials or whether these are uh, weapons or whether these are uh, units of payment uh, or whether these are are humans. Uh, we all have the different names of sovereign identity, uh, uh, supply chain management, uh, smart property, la di da di da di da, but they are all point of this universal administrative capacity to to 
to manage all kinds of flows, material, human, uh, uh, immaterial. Uh, and I, uh, if you ask me, the, the major trend is this, like what is what will be the right infrastructure for this, this extension of administrative capacity, both of states uh, uh, or political sovereigns and of private parties. And so the these second, are, sorry, go on. Go on. I was just going to ask you, these are all united out of underneath um, uh, a legal view, but they're treated rather quite differently, all these different um, administrative technologies, aren't they, right? Supply chain is treated rather differently from um, copyright, which is treated differently from uh, weapons tracking. Yeah, um, that's right. But uh, um, uh, so I, I see... Um, this like free floating signifier blockchain technology is is that it's the most important capacity is not that it's able to deliver useful or operational or uh, or or very efficient solutions to questions but they are able to ask point to questions uh in in a in a sense and what when, when I see blockchain being applied left and right to supply chain management, to IP registries, to uh, self-sovereign identity management, then what I see is that this technology is working as a probe uh, and uh, and highlights uh, this univer almost universal drive towards we need to administer all kinds of all kinds of things, and maybe maybe. Uh, it will be uh, it, there. Will be a, um, a uh, at least an interoperable uh, technological solution which enables uh, these different, currently not really well administered or part administered or or siloed uh, 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 flows of things, services, materials, people. Uh, to be interoperable. Well, that's the whole point, right? That uh, that that somehow these flows become visible for each other. Uh, uh, and what is the platform that enables this interoperability uh, is one of the key, uh, key questions here. What is the right combination of technological, institutional, uh, legal, political, economic uh, uh, conditions that enable these, uh, these administrative uh, systems to to see each other and to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. One of the fascinating things about hearing you describe this is, uh, and it's present in all of your work, is your um, understanding of the tension between what might be called the, the real and the ideal, or so the way that these systems actually get implemented and the way that they look like um, on paper or in their ideals. And I would like to just kind of introduce this this idea that you have uh, brought up about policy neutrality. And here you say it's a sort of a key factor in how systems move between centralization and decentralization. And this is in your paper where you um, try to really interrogate um, this uh, ever-present desire for decentralization within the blockchain space. And, and here, what you, as I see it, what you're doing is you're sort of looking at the different goals and ideals and seeing how in reality um, some uh, features end up centralizing. There's some domains that centralize and some decentralize. I wonder if you could just maybe break this concept of policy neutrality and these tensions between centralization and decentralization down a little bit for me. 
in decentralization is super interesting and it's a recurring pipe dream right it's like the mm-hmm. first generation internet was like super nice because it's decentralized and then when it closed down then then we had web 2.0 which was again super nice uh, because it was decentralized rather than uh, this CompuServe model and then when it failed then we have web 3.0 uh, which is like great because it's decentralized so again and again we have this recurring pipe dream that uh, a, a particular technological architecture namely decentralization will lead to these uh, social economic political utopia uh, which we are not we are not having at the moment because uh, centralized uh, economic uh, political forces just pervert our ideas uh, and um, and that never happens, but it may it's still uh, nevertheless interesting. It's like what is this decentralization? Uh, why is this so important? Why does it so why does it play such an important role in in these uh, these techno utopias or utopian thinking? Um, what does what is this property which uh, which uh, uh, which highlights again or leads people again and again and again to to, to return to it and uh, and uh, so again what is what is the thing that decentralized technologies are pointing to what is the question that they are pointing to even if the answer that they are providing is often inadequate uh, and uh, it's it's a, it's an upcoming paper it's coming out hopefully uh, soon uh, I am trying to so I, I, I stumbled upon uh, on the question of trustworthiness or trust, uh, um, and uh, the question of how do we trust each other across hugely uh, different social, economic, cultural, linguistic, historic gaps uh, in an era where we are locked in global networks of finance, of production, of, of telecommunications, of media, of supply chains, of food networks, of whatnot, and where we face global challenges that we can only solve together, like uh, climate degradation, mass human displacement, pandemics, whatnot. Right? Uh, and uh, and how do we deal with a, a situation where most of our institutional trust mechanisms, which enable us to cooperate within, like, with strangers within the boundaries or uh, of a nation state are still optimized for the nation state scale right so that the courts the jurisdiction the law enforcement uh, are mostly still like operate at the nation scale level and we are struggling to scale up especially in the european union that the european union is a is a is a is a, is a, a half a century political effort to actually scale up some of these trust creating functions to a continental level it's, it doesn't work at the global level like look at the un look at the who uh, look at uh, look at the breakdown of climate talks. so we are we are unable to operate systemic trust mechanisms on a global scale and and the european union is is also struggling to, to operate that on a continental scale the us is struggling to operate that on a continental scale. and at uh, a on a practical level, would you say that um, 
an engineer ought not point directly at decentralization as a as a an ultimate goal, but would rather look at the ways in which uh, ver- decentralization and other kind of ideals can be uh, held in tension or can emerge in concert. Is is that the kind of uh, practical lesson here? The practical lesson is uh, that there is um, so the technology was very quick to uh, uh, react to this trust crisis, right? And that there you see the sharing economy emerging, like Uber, Airbnb, Facebook. Uh, these are trust machines, if you like, which enable me to sleep in a stranger's bed, sit in a stranger's car, uh, 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 trust that uh, that uh, the stranger talking to me across the pond is actually saying something truthful or relevant or, or meaningful. Uh, and uh, and uh, what what we are seeing is is that uh, these technological responses to how to create trust on a global scale are also suffering from the trustworthiness or the lack of trustworthiness of the technology operators or the technological companies. They cannot be trustworthy. We cannot trust them to to actually uh, uh, act in our best interest or do what they promise to do. Uh, so the question, uh, and this is what I see uh, as the Web 3.0 or decentralized web or decentralization, the, the, the latest wave of decentralization, is that uh, uh, how do we uh, uh, design? What is the what are the, the conditions that would allow us to produce on a global scale technological infrastructures which enable us to cooperate with strangers across the globe? And that is Bitcoin, right? I don't need to. Uh, it's a very specific technological architecture, very different from what Airbnb and Uber uh, is uh, offering, which enables to uh, to engage in a value exchange with with a random stranger, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, through a very particular technological design. Uh, and now the question is, uh, like again, what is the com- like? What are the conditions of compatibility of these technological approaches with with the existing institutional frameworks? Because when it comes to cryptocurrencies, the problem is that Bitcoin works, but it's uh, but it's um, uh, it's incompatible with uh, with the global financial system, right? So uh, unless uh, there is a way to uh, to make it compatible one way or another. Uh, uh, the two systems, uh, uh, this global uh, proposal to how to solve the trust crisis uh, will not um, will not be available for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, for me, uh, from a legal perspective, the question is like, what what can we do? What can we, what 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 can yeah? What can we do uh, to actually acknowledge that there is a we need that kind of global infrastructure uh, of systemic trust production, and then uh, how can we uh, engineer them in a decentralized way, in a manner that uh, is actually enables it to talk to the, the existing infrastructure? You mentioned when we started that you're working in an environment that's filled with um, legal scholars and that you have a uh, a somewhat um, unusual position in in that mix, and that it, I think of what a lot of you have what you have to do is is a lot of translation work. Mm-hmm. Um, in reading your work, I was struck, nonetheless, with the kind of legal precision you're bringing to this topic, um, and which made me think that 
you in fact might see the world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain a little bit differently through your eyes than than what I might see. Uh, so I'm just wondering if you maybe maybe make a bit of a pitch for um, why the legal issues are so important here, and and maybe what you think the upcoming let's say hot button issue for for lawyers and for for social legal issues would be for uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchains going forward. Hmm. Uh- so there are two ways to answer this question. Like um, uh, when your audience is uh, uh, lawyers, then uh, for me, for them, the, one of the the, the mess, most important messages I have is that uh, uh, look into how uh, legal power uh, can uh, take the form or can be embodied in technical systems. Uh, with their own rigidity, with their own automatisms, with their own uh, lack of discretion or their uh, probabilistic uh, workings, uh, and think about what happens when power is uh, is mechanized in that mm. the legal power is turned into a, this this self-enforcing machine, uh, and try to think about and this is. Um, uh, we just uh, like in these very moments, there is a, 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 a thesis defense that uh, that I I had to skip, uh, which was uh, about like uh, pharmaceutical anti uh, the macro uh, what is sorry a pharmaceutical stewardship that you steward um, uh, antibiotical antibiotics uh, through blockchain supply chain management, which is like a, a great public interest, uh, public welfare use of blockchain technology. If you, if you, if you have a, a stewardship technology, which uh, enables you to control the use of antimicrobiotics uh, uh, in a manner that doesn't lead to uh, uh, resistance, development of, uh, of resistance. In developing countries where the enforcement of these things is more lax or, or less reliable, but then uh, and this is this was the question to to the to the student for me. It's like think about a little bit how you you are when you when you establish a system where Western pharmaceutical companies uh, are able to control the prescription or the use of their pharmaceuticals, their uh, their medicines in developing countries. How you actually establishing a uh, a technological uh, mechanism to project your jurisdiction or your power into like developing countries and how this how is that different from all the colonial projects that we have seen mm-hmm. so far in the in the recent years when you have a, another technology which is like the warship but that's the same vector to project a certain type of colonial power to, to certain systems so uh, this is one one like message to the lawyers, I always say that like these technologies are vectors uh, to project certain types of power mm-hmm. uh, over uh, territories, populations, uh, practices, and be very aware of how that technology works. That's a lesson for the engineer there too, isn't it really? Well, the engineers, uh, I'm laughing so hard all the time when I, uh, uh, I'm i reading Vlad Zamfir and I'm reading, uh, reading Vinay Gupta, who are, who are coming from the technology space around blockchain. And then they have uh, started to 
realized that there, are, there is this profession of, of lawyers and they started to learn what they are doing and what their usefulness is. And they turned from these rather naive and, uh, and I have to say, ignorant, uh, like, uh, 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 an error, so sometimes arrogant position of like, we can quote anything uh, uh, and we can quote any solution to this realization that something that that law law is an is a is a is a power to 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 pay attention to and to deal with because uh, because it's not just a, a a limitation or a hindrance or an inconvenience that you have to quote or you can quote around but there are that like the rest of the world that they need to interact with is organized by the legal power mm-hmm. uh, so without actually understanding the world which is organized by this judicial form of power, uh, there is no way you can engineer a system which is able to interface with that, right? And that is the the, the big decentralized or Bitcoin conundrum, is like, how can you engineer these decentralized systems in a manner that is not just legible for the existing legal frameworks, but this, they are also compliant. So they just cannot say, well, like the RTs are, are, are like, there is a fundamental incompatibility between the GDPR, the European Data Protection Regulation, and distributed ledgers because they are immutable. And then mm-hmm. uh, because that will hinder the, the distribution or the, uh, and the uptake of this technology. If you are, cannot engineer a legally compliant system, which is able to uh, respond to the GDPR requirements or the anti-money laundering, know your customer, um, uh, financial regulatory frameworks, then you will go get as far, uh, you will go uh, so far. And uh, the best you can hope is that there will be an insurgent use of your technology, like, uh, like peer-to-peer file sharing, but it will never be part of the the mainstream, as we were all hoping that uh, this type of peer-to-peer distribution and access to culture will be the dominant uh, and mainstream model of how you access culture. Do you think uh, that these technologies will make that transition, or do you think this sort of ignorance and arrogance is going to be continued to prevent um, their adoption? I, uh, I really hope that uh, uh, that there is a... Um, a, um, a better understanding now of um, of how these systems work from both sides. So the, the, the lawyers also need to understand, and then this is my mission, like I have to explain the lawyers what to expect from the technology and what not to expect the technology. So that was the, the hubris of copyright lawyers when they thought that they can just uh, think away or legislate away or or enforce away peer-to-peer file sharing, right? That, that didn't that didn't happen, and that was a mis- misunderstanding from that side. So they, every every stakeholder needs to go through this learning experience. Uh, and uh, I also think that these conflicts are, in, in that sense, super productive because it forces every player in or every party in that conflict to think better and more of like how they can. Uh, better conceptualize how the other is thinking or what the other is doing, what, the, what are these incentives of the other. And I also believe that, uh, that uh, technology as a sovereign form of power is also super transformative in itself. It's able to push 
regulatory frameworks, uh, everyday practices, business models uh, into the direction, uh, into one direction, into, into, into the direction which is like embodied in the technology as an ideal. Thank you for listening to our interview with Professor Bodo. To learn more about the IEEE Blockchain Initiative, please visit our web portal at blockchain.ieee.org.